My name is Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. going on everybody good day good morning good evening good afternoon good moment that you are currently in wherever you are and whenever you are listening just know that i wish you well once again my name is ricky day and you are listening to the podcast nothing to lose but yourself uh the podcast where we talk to all kinds of amazing people whether it's celebrities and entertainers and faith leaders or it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things we just unpack what it is to to live our lives authentically to embrace our authentic selves to love our authentic selves uh because i think it's important to do that because when you love your authentic self it makes it far less likely that you'll Be running around trying to diminish and oppress others because you don't feel good about who you are. That is the purpose of the podcast. And uh, according to your listening habits, doing pretty well. So I thank you guys for your support as always. Also, as we always do in the beginning, I just want to make sure that I remind all the new listeners of our social media. It's nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram and on Twitter. And my personal Instagram and Twitter are Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y. Make sure to follow me wherever you can, whenever you can. Well, in today's episode, I chat with Emil Wilbekin. Emil Wilbekin is not only a friend, but he is the founder of Native Son, a movement and platform created to inspire and empower black gay men. Emil and I chat uh, about his youth growing up uh, as an adopted child in Cincinnati, Ohio, what it means to be human, learning to live life authentically, and the power and the importance of community. This conversation is also an opportunity to unpack the power of vulnerability and the benefits of honesty. Uh, It's a fun discussion. It's an honest discussion and uh, hopeful for you, uh, hopeful for me, for you, that it's an engaging and entertaining one. But you will be the judge of that. And I'm going to continue to be authentic, so authentic. I'm not going to go back and fix that flub. We're going to live with it. We're going to live this day and we're going to live this episode together. Myself in conversation with Emil Wilbekin. My guest today is an amazing man who happens to be a dear friend as well. Uh, He's a former editor-in-chief, fashion director, style editor, associate editor at Vibe magazine from 1993 to 2003. He also was the editor-in-chief of Giant Magazine, giantmagazine.com, the managing editor of Essence.com, editor-at-large for Essence magazine, as well as the chief creative officer for World of Wilbekin. Most recently, he is the founder of Native Sun, a platform uh, that supports and brings uh, light to the contributions of black gay men. And most importantly, he is a man of God. He's a brother, a son, and some even call him father. We'll unpack that in the conversation. I am fortunate enough personally to call him brother and my friend as well as my brother in Christ, a fellow disciple. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Emil Wilbekin. Good morning, Emil. Good morning, Ricky. How you doing? Today? Or is it afternoon? Or is it evening? We probably shouldn't be so time specific, huh? Well, we'll do like our brother Charles Anthony Bryant and just say good morning <laughs> <laughs> all day. So I need y'all to know that you know, since I started this podcast, my friends, including Emil, have teased me about my voice, which is actually my voice. It's just you know, you sound a little different when you have headphones on and a microphone in your face. 
And I just want you guys to know, because you don't have the visual necessarily, that Emil is sitting there with headphones and a microphone. And all of a sudden, he now sounds like Barry White. You see, you see what I mean? Like when we don't have to. Talking about Ricky. <laughs> where you don't have to over project, all of a sudden you find the rest of your voice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how's it going, man? How's, uh, how, how are you doing? How's 2021 treating you so far? 2021 so far has been great. Uh, no complaints. I mean, I'm just, you know, easing into the year. Um, I think I spent January really kind of in recovery mode and kind of, you know, 2020 was a lot. It was um, obviously with the pandemic and the racial reckoning and all the things and being in isolation um, was heavy and a lot. But it was also very, for me, uplifting and spiritually like enlightening and it was a great moment for native son because the platform the community grew so much um but i was exhausted as well as well you should have been you worked hard in 2020 um and to say it was a, a difficult year it would be a bit of an understatement i think everybody listening could share in that but you know Tell people who don't know a little bit, um, tell them about Native Son, what it is. And then I want to dive into why you're so tired at the end of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So we'll start off. Native Son is a community, a platform and a movement that I created five years ago. And uh, it is inspiration and empowerment for Black gay men. And it's a really, really simple concept. Like, how do you create safer spaces for Black gay men where we can have these types of conversations? We can talk about identity. We can talk about sexuality, masculinity, femininity, and just issues that are relevant to us. But more importantly, we can be reflections of each other. And it was really an intervention that I needed I needed to be, um, I needed to look at myself through a different lens and I needed to um, have conversations with my brothers that I wasn't able to have in kind of other situations or in other platforms. And it just kind of was this need and also like to celebrate each other. But the very fundamental reason I started it is I thought about if you went to a club, you went to a bar, you were in a store walking down the street, you saw another black gay brother and you had this weird feeling and the weird feeling could be shade. The weird feeling could be sexual attraction. The weird feeling could be like, I don't know. It's just like this thing that we were doing to each other. So I was like, well, what's the opposite of that look like? What does it look like when we have to confront each other, where we have to be in each other's faces and see each other and actually see the beauty and the brilliance and the boldness in each other and actually realize that that is a reflection of ourselves and just love ourselves. That That's the basic concept. Well, it's amazing. I think it was super important and most certainly necessary, um, as you can tell by the response to it. I remember uh, many years ago being at a... Um, uh, a little conference that um, an organization out in Brooklyn, uh, uh, forgot the name of it now, Lord Jesus, they would help, hate me. But uh, Michael Roberson was running it at the time. I want to say POCC. But um, Nigeria. 
or GMAT. Yeah, GMAT actually. And there was this retreat to help reduce the instances of STDs and specifically HIV infection. And so it was called Many Men, Many Voices. And they had a group of probably 12, 15 brothers in a room. And uh, his first exercise of the retreat was uh, introduce ourselves. And then he wrote three words on the board. And he wanted our responses to those words off the top of, you know, off the top of everyone's head. Just when I write this word, blurt out what comes to mind. So the first thing he Mm -hmm. wrote on the board was black man. And everybody was like, oh, sexy, powerful, confident, strong, daddy, you know, whatever. Cool. Then he wrote gay man. People were like, oh, fabulous, um, amazing, diva, over the top, creative. Okay. Then he wrote black gay man. Punk, sissy, faggot. Those were the adjectives and the names that came to mind. So I had this look on my face like, what the hell is going on here? And he says to me, uh, Ricky, so why, I see the look on your face. What, what are you thinking? How are you responding? I'm like, well, I already understand where you're going with this whole situation. We're telling people to protect themselves, to have safer sex, to protect themselves from infection and such. But if this is how people see themselves, if this is the lack of value that people see in themselves, who's going to protect something that they don't value? And I think so much of that was inside of so many people and still is to this day, but not in quite the same numbers as it was before, uh, that it was important for you and other people like you to create organizations that helped uh, help gay men uh, to actually see ourselves as valued, as enough, as, as being loved and worthy of love and protection. Um, so I, I think it's amazing, man. Um, so given that backdrop and what Native Son is 2020, this pandemic hits and then eventually the racial reckoning comes and native son steps up in a major way to fill uh, some very important spaces for us Talk, kind of walk us through what that was like. So 2020, um, you know, in isolation, um, in quarantine, not knowing, you know, what is happening really in the world, but that there's a virus that's killing people um, that is contagious. Right. And, um, I noticed on social media, more people were on social media because they're locked in the house and there's <laughs> nothing else to do. So Instagram almost became television, right? It was like channel surfing. Mm-hmm. And so as I was going through, I realized that there was no one speaking to the black gay community. Um, in a holistic way, right? There was no place for us to kind of have like, what's our home base? And, you know, I think about back in the day when you go to these big clubs, my friends, we would always pick a home base so that whatever happened during the night, whoever you hooked up with or disappeared or whatever, we knew we could find each other at the home base. So that's what Native Sun became. And we basically pushed up our sleeves. We did programming that was seven days a week. Um, and everyone was like, you're insane that you're going to do this. I was like, I have nothing else to do. So <laughs> I use my gifts, right? You know, yeah. God gives us gifts and talents and mine happens to be media and programming. And I said, what does this look like as a seven day a week program of conversations? Um, we had conversations with, you know, bot leaders like Darnell Moore George M. Johnson. We had different um, people. Ben Corey Jones came on to talk. 
and Michael Kilgore, you know, all these different brothers came mm-hmm. on and talked. But then we also did cooking classes and yoga and relationship counseling. And on Friday nights, we would have a DJ. So everybody would be in there. And it was kind of like, you know, our little club that we would come in. And Mm -hmm. everybody's like, get me a drink. Oh, hey, Ricky, I see you over there. (laughs) And what was really fascinating was that coupled with the programming we were already doing on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, our numbers grew. And our numbers in March of 2020 were like 13,000. And today we're at Mm $35,000 and very little paid support. We didn't really, it's all kind of organic. But what was powerful was, you know, T. Oliver Reed, um, who's an actor, he he raised his hand and he's a Broadway actor and activist. And he said, I want to do Black Gay Broadway. So every Monday, I just want to talk to Black gay men from the world of Broadway. So they could be actor, producer, singers, wardrobe, costume, production, you name it. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because it showed you the breadth of Black gay men. And Black gay Broadway to me was so interesting because, you know, I've been to the theater. I'm not a big theater head, mm-hmm. but suddenly I'm meeting all these men and listening to them. And it's, it, it, it often feels like Black gay church. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're so thirsty and hungry for positive, relevant content that speaks to us where we are and where we want to be that people just come and they really revel in the black boy joy of it. Absolutely. They do. Uh, We do. (laughs) Everyone does. And it's been really powerful because Black Ray Broadway is a great example of this. Um, I've seen literally feels like a hundred or more people that I didn't know existed. It's not just the celebrities, the stars, the people you can think of on Broadway. It's all these amazing people that are part of that fabric of Broadway, that uh, those group of people that tell those stories have built this legacy, that built that industry. And you didn't even know these people existed and they're dynamic and engaging and entertaining and have wonderful stories and very human stories. Uh, It's amazing. I mean, for the first time, you know, we use this term, oh, the black gay community. uh, But in many ways, it hasn't felt like a community at many points in in, in our history. And other times it's stepped up and been very much a community, usually in times of crisis. And this is another example of really coming together in crisis. And, you know, community, I think, is super important. I think we, you know, you and I share this, this love of an appreciation for community, but tell me about what community means to you. Define what community means and why it was so important for Native Son to be a community, not some elitist Jack and Jill kind of organization. And I'm teasing you because that's an inside joke for the meal and I, y'all. But um, why, why was it so important to build truly a community the way you did? Well, I, th- I think it, it's that old saying, if you build it, they will come. And I think for me, again, I go back to the word intervention, which is a word that um, my brother Darnell Moore really put into my vocabulary when we were thinking about the mission statement for Native Son. He kept asking me, what's the intervention? Mm -hmm. And so when I think about community, I think of um, support. I think of a place where you can go and be seen by your family members. 
and good, bad and ugly. Um, and that you can support each other, that you can lift each other up, that if someone needs to be pulled up, you pull them up. If someone needs to be celebrated, you celebrate them. If someone needs to be prayed over, you pray over them. Mm -hmm. And if someone just needs to be held and loved, you do that too. We don't have that. And unfortunately, the way many of us have grown up, um, with our coming out stories and biting in stories. Sometimes people were accepted. Sometimes they were not. Um, but we, it's almost like we had this crabs in a barrel kind of mentality of we are not accepted in our families, at home, at our churches, in our neighborhoods. We've been bullied. We've been this and that. And a lot of pathology stuff that I don't want to get stuck in. But we have to fight to be the best. We have to fight to prove our masculinity, to prove our worth, to prove our values. And in that, I think we end up putting up the shield that then we don't let anybody in. Right. So what is a safer space, which is a very important phrase that I like to use for community, um, where we can come together and feel safe and feel secure and feel loved, mm -hmm. right? and not judged and that is tricky just as human beings right because right. judging is really tough and then how do you also just create which i saw the white gay community does it the lesbian community does it the trans community does it how do you just create a support system and a network right mm -hmm. so you know Ricky's doing a podcast. He needs some engineer or sound person. Do I know someone that can, do I know a black gay man that can help? Right. right. So it's creating that kind of echo system of support, um, creativity, um, and just reliance, right? Mentorship, counseling, all the things that we need. So that to me, community is about supporting from a holistic perspective a group of people that come together with shared interest. Yeah. And, and being part of a healthy community uh, is so important and so beneficial to self as well, because we're always looking inside, defining who we are as individuals, trying to be in love and appreciate our authentic selves. Uh, and that's much easier to do when you have the mirror of community, when you have right. a reflection of yourself uh, around you at all times, you can compare and, and contrast to what have been some of them. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just want to add, though, I think it's really, really important because um, my brother Damon Jones at PNG, who's been a big supporter of Native Son, he he taught me something through the pandemic, which was like, let's not get stuck in the brokenness and the trauma. Yeah. Let's focus on the solution. So the other part, and I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the other part I think it's really important to add about community is the joy part, the mm -hmm. black joy part. Mm -hmm. Nobody reads or is as funny <laughs> or will clock somebody the way black gay men do. And so that's the other part that happens when we come together, right? Mm -hmm. And we can throw shade like nobody's business and we can read, but when it is done in love and joy, it's, you can't beat that. Yeah, yeah. So it's also filling people's cups so that we don't have to be depleted and stuck in trauma and brokenness and kind of the pathology of blackness and queerness that exists in this country. So I just wanted to add to that part. No, that's important. I'm glad you did um, because that's super important. And that, and that contrast of the context in which 
that joking around and that reading and that playing happens. There's a different feeling when you're reading out of joy and, and mm-hmm. playfulness and fun. You're just practicing skills that you may need to use later in the in the larger world, but you're just playing around. But these are people you love. These are reflections of yourself. playing the dozens. It's, yeah. it's, it's what we know as Black folk. But honey, <laughs> honey, <laughs> when you put that gay spin on it and that Black gay spin, child, watch out. It's so funny. It's so real. And you got to be your authentic self at all times and be ready. I mean, I tell people all the time, people are like, oh, my God, you're so nice. And you're so I'm like, listen, there's multiple people that live inside this body. Try me and you'll find out there's another side because you have these are survival skills. And, you know, you're again. Yeah, you're right. We're playing the dozens. I'm a little black kid from South Central L.A. I remember being in the back of the school bus. And it's like, okay, I got to be ready. I got five or six ready for all of y'all. Like, try Mm -hmm. me. Don't do it. (laughs) And that just gets heightened and sharpened uh, as you're part of the black gay community. What have been some of the things that you've learned or you found most uh, surprising as, you know, you've built this Native Son community? Um, Or even things that you found in yourself that you you didn't know that were there? What, What have been some of the surprises along the way? Pleasant or otherwise. (laughs) One of the biggest surprises for me was the name, Native Son. You know, the fact that it's named after James Baldwin's notes from a, of a native son. James Baldwin's notes of a native son is his um, it's 65 years old. It was his first collection of uh, essays, his first nonfiction um, collection of essays mm-hmm. from different places about race, identity, colorism, challenging the black church, kind of challenging hypermasculinity, all these different things. He's our icon. Right. Like he is our North Star. So what was crazy to me about it was, you know, I, I, I love the book. I love James Baldwin. He seemed like the perfect person to kind of lean into when I thought about what Native Son could be. But what was incredible is how many black, gay and queer men said, I would rather be called a Native Son than gay or queer. Oh, yeah. I'm one and of them. I am one of that them. blew my mind because I was like, what? Like, this is really taking off. Like, <laughs> What is going <laughs> on? And I think it became most evident to me when we did um, we did a capsule collection of T-shirts with Bloomingdale's mm-hmm. and there were these T-shirts and none of the T-shirts at first had Native Son on it. And I was like, well, that's a big miss. And so I pushed back. And so we ended up doing like, you know, they were for prize. It's like rainbow colors and all this stuff. And the t-shirt sold out in two weeks. And so Kevin Harder at Bloomingdale's is like, what, what happened? (laughs) And I said, well, Kevin, the blessing that you bestowed on native son is that you took this movement and put it into every door of Bloomingdale's around the country so that people who weren't in New York could now be a part of the movement, could support the movement because part of the proceeds went to Native Son, Mm -hmm. and they could wear Native Son on their chest with pride. And they could be in the hood, they could be on Fire Island, wherever they wanted to be, wherever they lived in their Black gay existence, they could rep and be a part of Native Sun. So that was one of the biggest kind of like aha moments mm-hmm. um, because I think, you know, a lot of stuff wasn't built for us. You know, the LGBTQ plus community is not always there for us as black and brown folk. They don't see us like right. that. So that was a big revelation. 
The other was just, um, I mean, for myself was really, again, that intervention of how much I needed a support system of strong black gay men who would love me unconditionally, who would push me when I have a blind spot or was maybe not doing what I should be doing when maybe I'm not walking the walk. And also who would, like I said, because you do this for me a lot, pray over me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a simple fact. And that I needed mentorship, right? I think that was one of the biggest things. Mentorship to me is super important. And I mentor so many young people, but I realized on this journey that I need mentorship. Um, And so just creating that space, and I think it has expanded my capacity to love, right? To love myself through these incredible images, young and old, of other Black gay men who are just incredible, brilliant, smart, um, dynamic, creative, loving, generous. And then to really kind of, you know, be able to give that back tenfold. Absolutely. And it's it's amazing because you know, people in this society think about competition all the time. You see what somebody else is doing and you're like, oh, they're not going to beat me. I'm going to compete. I'm going to be bigger, better, faster. But there's a positive kind of flip side to that. When you yeah. see your brother working hard and excelling and bringing something out in them that you didn't know was in them, mm-hmm. it makes you start to look in the mirror and look at yourself and be like, well, what am I leaving on the table? What talents and skills am I not tapping into that could be of service to other people? How can I contribute to the story? How can I make life better for somebody else um, or enhance what we're doing in the community? And and that's been important too. And, and being in a close knit and loving community uh, does that. Um, any particular stories without mentioning names that come to mind of a, a native son that has been really profoundly affected by the work? I know there's so many, but is there one that comes to mind? So many. Um, wow. I will tell you this, that I get at least five DMs a week from brothers from all over the world. Um, some of whom I know, some of whom I've never met because they live in Brazil or they live in Africa who thank me for the incredible work that we're doing because it gives them hope. It gives them possibility. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot at the very first native son awards I came out about my HIV status and, you know, the CDC says that half of our population, our community of black gay men who have sex with men, um, are HIV positive or living with AIDS. So that's crazy. And I'll never forget that at the awards, when I said it, a, a lot of people in the room didn't know I was positive. It wasn't something I was super public about, but I couldn't serve this community if I didn't share that. That just felt like I wasn't being transparent. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, what was so crazy was 
people who were shocked and were like, are you okay? Are you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, thank God I'm great. I'm undetectable, which means, you know, that the virus has been suppressed and I can't pass it on. And I've been on medication for all this time. The other part was the amount of brothers that came up and were like, me too, brother. And thank you for sharing that because it allowed me to breathe. Mm-hmm. So there are stories like that. I mean, there are stories about, you know, young brothers in different parts of Africa who it is illegal to be gay. They feel trapped, especially in isolation in households that are homophobic. Um, and they kind of live in this, like they're berated, they're scared they're going to get kicked out. Um, and then there's just stories of, people who are grown men who have corporate jobs who have been in the closet and native son has given them the freedom to come out in their adult lives and, and find themselves. And that to me is just, I mean, there's so many stories. I mean, there's been stories of young people coming to me that are, you know, have drug problems and because of the pandemic and need help and guidance. And so I think it's very important to, especially in this context, the alignment of the growth and birth of native son parallels the alignment of my growth and rebirth as a Christian. Mm -hmm. So I remember sitting at our church, first Corinthian Baptist church, after I had been laid off and I'd gone to India and I was on this eat, pray, love mission of figuring out my next chapter and had started creating native son in my mind, right mm-hmm. on paper, little social media posts and, and with the possibilities, but I was out of work. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And I remember being at church with my boyfriend at the time, crying, just crying. And he's like, are you good? I'm like, I'm fine. And I just remember saying, use me, Lord, use me. I tell people all the time, be careful when you utter those words to the Lord, because he will indeed use you. And it's usually a lot more than you thought you were uh, asking for, but he always gives provision as well. Yeah. Um, And I think the idea of lifting people up, feeding people in the middle of the pandemic, handing out, you know, coats for the people that can't afford coats in the middle of winter mm-hmm. um, and just pushing through prayer calls every morning and, and all the many, many wonderful things true, that happen. True discipleship, though. True discipleship. Yes. You yeah. know, lots of people use the word Christian and then move in very anti-Christian ways, yeah. but they're really committed to, as are you and I, to discipleship, to literally modeling Jesus's teachings, mirroring Jesus's moves in the world. Jesus cared for the sick. Jesus healed the yes. sick. Jesus was with the downtrodden and the oppressed, dealing with their mental health concerns. Half of those parables that he's telling them are dealing with issues of the day, and the other half is dealing with their mental uh, wellness, living in as oppressed people and under the boot of empire, which sounds eerily familiar to what we live under, not only as people of color or African-Americans, but then within a subtext or a sub-community within that, you know, as black gay men, it's like, okay, you're black, 
which is already a lot in America, but then you're gay and then the black people who you want to love you, you're not sure if they're going to love you or protect you. So absolutely that discipleship that, you know, you've modeled with Native Son and, and we've experienced in our church and in our lives, I think is really important, man. I didn't you know, mean to cut you off there, but it's just, that's the word. It's, it's discipleship. It's really walking in the footsteps of Jesus, not just talking about it, but being about it. And you really modeled that in this community uh, by building Native Son which is then speaking to and bringing out that in everyone. I think everybody on this planet, including the craziest racist you'll ever meet, the seeds are inside each and every one of us. It's the fear. It's the lack of understanding of who we are authentically as creation of God and as part of a human tapestry. I think that lack of knowledge of that, that lack of acceptance of that is what leads to the crazy. But when you're in touch with who you authentically are, you can't really do anything but love another human being, protect another human being, want to see another human being grow. So you've been a shining example of that. As imperfect as you think you may be, you've really given an example of that to to folks and then inspired us to all step up and start to use our skills in in more impactful ways. That's got to feel, what does that feel like? (laughs) Um, it, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Sometimes it's heavy. Um, sometimes it is, um, thankless. (laughs) Um, but at the end of the day, you know, my favorite time of the day, which is why I'm glad we're doing this early is in the morning Mm -hmm. because I wake up in the morning and it is, I'm excited to pray. I'm excited to read motivations and motivational books and and scripture and meditate and i think about that time of the day kind of sets the stage right and so this morning i did a meditation around setting your intentions and it was really powerful to me because the the guided meditation talked about you know you can think you want something but you actually have to feed that and believe that and, and in a positive way, Mm -hmm. because if not, it kind of won't manifest. Mm -hmm. And so when I go back to, I want to go back to first Corinthian Baptist church a little bit is, you know, our mantra is live, love, serve. And I remember this conversation at the very beginning of the pandemic when I was on um, a FaceTime call with you and Charles Anthony Bryant, and we were just kind of, you know, Charles and I went through very traumatic experiences of not wanting to leave our house and kind of being very terrified by everything. You were a little bit more easy about it, but very cautious. And, And then I was like, you know, talking about needing to do all this programming and to really serve the community. And I, I remember I said, you know, I have to lead. I feel God is calling me to lead. And you both stopped me. And you said, let's rephrase the language. Let's, let's rework this language. And I said, okay. And they said, serve the community. Martin Luther King served. Malcolm X served. And I was like, and it, that was like a real turning point for me. And I had a lot of fear and trepidation of, could I do it? Right. I had brothers calling me who were positive, who were triggered by the deaths of the AIDS crisis. And suddenly here we are, you know, 20 something years later, 
And it's like, yeah, people are dying for no reason. Many of us live alone. What happens if we get the virus? What happens if we're positive and get the virus? What happens if we don't have insurance? All these things were happening. And, you know, I I made a joke to somebody the other day. Half of my day, and people don't know this, is spent on phone calls or FaceTimes with folks working them through their issues or supporting them. And it's not to say that I'm, you know, some of my friends are like, you're trying to save every black gay man. Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. I am. It's important. Somebody save me. Exactly. And you're still saving yourself by saving other black gay men. That's what people don't understand. That's what community is. That's what this walk as a human being is about. We are literally connected to each other, whether we want to believe or acknowledge it or not. Um, community and these friendships and such are, are, they're critical, man. I mean, what you talked about just there is a perfect example of it. You just that word lead versus the other word serve. It took a community, it took two of us to say, Hey, let's stop that there. Cause that could lead you down a path. That's a little bit different than the path we understood you to actually intend. So the community stepped up and helped tweak your direction Mm -hmm. early. And then you're concerned, you have fear, you have trepidation about what you can and can't do. But again, you've got community, you got friends, you got brothers that are saying you can, and we're here to help. What do you need? And that's important. And not just for black gay men, but that's important for us as humanity. That's That's important for us as Americans. That's important for us as black Americans, African-Americans. Nobody walks this thing alone. And so it's just like lean into it. Share the burden. One of the things that's been also kind of a revelation for me is how many of my friends who are not gay, who tune into the Native Son conversations or watch the Native Son Awards, um, because I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the tentpole kind of programming that we also did aside from Instagram. So we did a Black Gay Leadership Forum, Mm -hmm. you know, where... Um, Rashad Robinson of Color of Change, the largest civil rights organization now in the world, and Alfonso David, who is um, the president of HRC, which is the largest um, LGBTQ plus civil rights organization <clears throat> in the world, were in conversation, right? Don, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Drink some water, tea, coffee, coffee. whatever you got that cup. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Don Lemon, Jonathan Capehart, LZ Granderson in conversations. So we we had these really powerful conversations. We also did the Native Sun Awards. Mm-hmm. And at the awards, I mean, because everyone's in quarantine, everybody said yes, which was powerful. And we honored Billy Porter, Lee Daniels, Andre DeShields, um, Rashad Robinson, and Edward Enemful. And what was so powerful was um, my other brother from church, Brett Banks, he and his wife and his three-year-old son watched the awards on their TV. And I thought, this is so powerful to me because they were very inspired by all the testimonies and stories. And, you know, Delon Burnside performed and Devon A. Times. Like, it was powerful. Mm-hmm. And... It was funny because they said their son, was, who calls me Oatmeal, was like, oh, there's Oatmeal on TV and he's talking to me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what Brett reminds me of a lot is that while the programming is focusing on Black gay men, 
the messages, the testimonies, and the wisdom and the words are for everybody. Absolutely. These are human stories. We're, we put these labels and these categories on ourselves. Well, we're all human beings. We're spiritual creatures having this physical experience. Like, it is what it is. We're, we're all connected uh, that way. And, and I think the superpower that we all possess and very few people are comfortable tapping into is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Just being vulnerable. It helps other people see themselves in you. It helps you see yourself and other people like it's powerful and it's necessary. I mean, again, it takes vulnerability to start something like this. It takes vulnerability to talk about something like this. It takes vulnerability to continue to do this kind of work. But it's important. I think also people need to realize that, you know, life, man, is a journey. And where you are is never where you began. And it's not the beginning or the end. It's those points in between that's life. That journey is the life. I mean, your mom is a perfect example. You talk about your mom so amazingly and so wonderfully. And I was blessed to meet her. And she she definitely was an amazing woman. But that relationship wasn't always that way. I mean, your coming out story actually is interesting and surprised me based on your relationship with your mom. You know, some people don't know that. Share a little bit about that because I think it's important for people who are listening, who have a a child who's gay or or has some other kind of identity uh, that's outside the quote unquote norm to understand what these journeys can be like. Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey. So I came out when I was, I'm trying to think, I was think I was 21. And I basically, you know, everyone's like, why'd you decide to come out? And I decided to come out to my parents because I got tired of living the lie of, you know, who's your girlfriend? Like, when are you getting married? Like, have you, are you dating any nice young women? And I just was like, this is exhausting because it just got to be too, too, too much. And I remember one of my breaking points was like, my mother was like, what about Tyra Banks? And I was like, Tyra Banks? Like, what? <laughs> like, you going, like, I mean, this is like at the height of her supermodel career. It's like, what? Like, that's crazy. Get out of here, lady. Um, well, my family was convinced I was going to marry Janet Jackson at one point. <laughs> yeah, like, it's crazy the stories that people kind of create um, that is really what their, their story, right? Like, mm-hmm. what they want. So it just, you know, it's like everything in life there were all these signs that kept popping up and I just was like, I can't keep doing this. And I think I was dating someone at the time. And um, so I didn't do this in hindsight. I would never have done it this way ever, <laughs> but I came out to my parents over the phone because I was, I, I literally knew my mother was super intense. My parents were both very strong personalities and very, um, you know, real and very in the church. And I just, yeah. So anyway, it is what it is. I came out over the phone. (laughs) So the interesting part was my father said, I always had a feeling. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like, okay, so I'll unpack that later. (laughs) And then my mother just went ballistic. My mother's a Capricorn. My mother is like, 
a type A, was a type A, and she went off. She's reading scriptures. She's crying. She's blaming herself. She's rebuking me. Like, it was the, one of the most horrible things that's ever happened to me in my life. It was so traumatic. And, you know, I remember it was, like, all night on the phone, and it's, like, my brother's calling. And, and it was just horrible. And it kept going. Like, I was like, when is this nightmare going to stop? Like, it's supposed to stop when I come out, right? Right. Not realizing, because I was so young, like, no, now the work begins, right? And so my brother made this um, kind of pact with my parents and I that I would not turn my back and walk away. Um, That I would actually, you know, educate them and, you know share with them what it meant to be gay and what my kind of lifestyle was like and things like that. And then he made the same pact with them that they would not cut me off, that they would be open to learning. And so we would all kind of hopefully learn and grow. Mm -hmm. So that took a long time. Um, because we definitely didn't speak for a while. Mm -hmm. And then when I would go home for the holidays, it was just like, I was so stressed. I was so anxious. I was so mad. Um, I'm surprised you went home for the holidays. No shit. Yeah, but remember I made this promise. So (laughs) I had to keep my word. I mean, my word is my bond. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. So we, you know, I do it. And, um, It was really uncomfortable. And then I get into a relationship with a white guy. (laughs) And uh, yeah. Oh, you just just went all the way there. Yeah. They were like, oh, you're going to be gay and you're going to date a white dude. Like, that's not okay. And so the white dude decides in his very whiteness and privilege to send my parents a letter. Now, let me tell you, though, this is one of those moments, though, where it actually worked in my favor because (laughs) he was so whack that he did that without my permission. My mother goes off like, don't you ever have that white boy coming up in here and da da da. And then I'm like, don't you ever reach out to my mother without like what? And so that was hilarious for many reasons, because it was very get out and I miss my family. Mm hmm. I'm and glad so you didn't go that's to the sunken place. No, I pulled myself out. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise God, indeed, because the sunken place is real. We sunken know many places. people. We know many people who reside there. They have built many rooms in their little mansions, and yeah. it's, it's 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 really kind of tragic. So that's yeah. important that you were able to. So actually, I'm glad you made me come back to this. So while I was dating him. I started going to therapy for the first time because I was struggling with issues of race and how I was treated in the streets as a black man, as a black gay man. And then how I felt in this relationship with this white man who really loved black men and black culture and then being estranged from my parents. And so that was kind of my journey into therapy and my journey into kind of loving myself and and understanding what was important, what, um, what mattered 
and then right how to have conflict and resolution right mm-hmm. and so the resolution with the ex was that we broke up that also opened the door for my family and reconnected with them and was able to kind of them seeing me hurt in that way mm-hmm. gave them a view of a, of me from a, a loving their child humanity perspective that um, shifted the relationship and kind of brought us back together. So it was a really mixed blessing when I, you know, think about the types of relationship that I want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's so much to be done with loving myself and loving another black man. So that's my prerogative. No, absolutely. Um, you know, it just, I think at the end of the day, it goes to this American thing where we refuse to deal with the original challenges of this country from racism and white supremacy and such. And people don't understand. Yes. We're clear about how much it's hurt African-Americans. We are Mm -hmm. clear about what it's done to native Americans. But what I think many white Americans don't understand is the damage that it's doing to them. That what is it in you that makes me have to be a nigger? misquoting James Baldwin, but it's true. I'm not your Negro. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, that manifests in all these varying ways, including, you know, the pathology of, oh, well, I only date black men because of A, B, and C. They probably haven't even unpacked what that's about. And so, you know, having that empathy for people's journey and why we are all in the various stages of our lives that we are is, is important. But what seems to really have worked for you, even though it wasn't necessarily voluntary, was you were, again, vulnerable in the midst of your family and they were reminded how much they love you, how much they, they care for you and you're adopted. So, I mean, it's literally, they chose to love you. They chose to bring you in. Um, And you know, that stuff that parents go through, man, it's, it's egos. Like what will people think of me? What will people, what would the church say about me? It was complete ego. But the fact that you brought up the adoption part, I mean, it was also the most to say that you would disown me was like, the most hurtful thing you could have said to me because I had already had issues of kind of abandonment, right? Mm-hmm. And issues of um, feeling unwanted because I was given up, even though I was adopted by like the most incredible human beings ever, like the biggest blessing. And I always remember my mother telling me how my birth mother, you know, I guess in notes or something was like, I want him to have a better life. And so I will always love her for that. Mm-hmm. Right. For giving me a better life by giving me away. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming back to the the relationship with my mom. So it was tough for a long time. And my mother and I were very, very close prior to that. And I just kind of one day I was like, I'm just going to put it in her face all the time. Like, I don't care because she's a Capricorn, but I'm a Virgo. So I was like, let's go. <laughs> and I remember she came to New York for a conference I was in New York magazines, like most 100 most influential LGBTQ people, some list, fabulous list thing. 
So we went to this luncheon, we did this thing, and I think it was her last day in New York. And so then here I am, like I pulled the magazine out of my pocket of my coat and I'm like, look at this. <laughs> you were scared that my life wasn't going to be anything because I'm gay. And look, I'm on this New York Magazine 100 list. And she simply looked over at me and said, I've already seen it. One of my girlfriends in Cincinnati showed it to me at a Lynx meeting, and I'm very proud of you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and I could see the look on her face when she said it. <laughs> right. Because it was like, she read me, basically. Mm-hmm. But she's like, I already know. I'm proud of you. You did it. Um, and then after, from that point, you know, when my father passed away, I think, is when my relationship with my mom really shifted. Because you know, then suddenly her best friend is gone. And so I think my brother and I became kind of surrogates for that space that my father held for my mother. And we both kind of come from different perspectives of that, of my dad. And, um, you know, and eventually my mother, you know, would come to New York and would hang out with me and all my friends and Kiki and, you know, be a, you know, Red Rooster mm-hmm. and, in and and having fun. And actually the first time I went to First Corinthian was with my mom mm-hmm. and um, my aunt and a friend of ours. And I just remembered being in that space and like, I'm so blessed that I got to share that space with my mother and she loved the energy there and the music and the creativity and, and Pastor Mike's words. She really loved Pastor Mike's word. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just remember we, um, and you took a photo of us at that event. I chaired the Stonewall Community Foundation Gala. Ah, yes. What a beautiful day. And, and it was like at the Museum of the City of New York and my mother and I are getting out of the car and there's Ricky Day with his camera. <laughs> And you took that very beautiful photo of us together. And um, Bevy and I hosted the night. And, you know, Bevy was me and Bevy. And <laughs> wearing like a sailor and doing her, you know, Bevy show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is so crazy because my mother loves Bevy, but Bevy is doing crazy talk. <laughs> and like, you know, she's just being a, like a black gay man mm-hmm. <laughs> embodiment. And um at one point, I mean, my mother was like dancing with Isaac Mizrahi and I have this great picture of her and Lee Daniels kicking and she called me over to her and it's like, I'm like, mom, I'm hosting the thing with Bevy. Like, I can't like, she's like, come here. And she took my hand and my mother wasn't very affectionate. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. And she slid a check into my hand and I was like, what is this? And she's like, this is for the organization. I want to support the work that they're doing. I mean, she met Janet Mock that night. I mean, it was like spectacular. It was spectacular. And it was joyful. I remember the energy in the room and I remember the energy in her. She yes. was so happy that night. Yeah. Um, and, and I just wanted you to share that, man, because I think, you know, there's so many um, our brothers out there that are, you know, not as fortunate uh, as yeah. we are and are going through deep issues with their families that they adore, yeah. particularly people in regions like the South and, mm-hmm. and, and the Midwest where they may not be um, as comfortable. It may not be as free uh, to be who they are. And it's just important for people to know that what it is in this moment is not what it's always going to be. It does get better. 
And then I, you know, and then I had the great privilege, right, of being myself with my mom. So as she started dying and was ailing, um, she had congestive heart failure and she kind of started declining very rapidly. Um, and I remember one day my brother, because he lived in Cincinnati and lived, still lived with my mother at the time and took care of her. Um, he called me one day crying and I was like, and he's pretty strong. So I'm like, wait, what's going on? He's like, I just, I don't know what to do. She's like really anxious. She's going through all this stuff. Um, you have to deal with her. Like, I don't even, I, I, I can't do it. So I call my mom and she's really manic and all this stuff. And so I just kind of went into what I would call a meal mode, father mode. Mm -hmm. And I started pouring into her and praying with her and she calmed down. And I was like, we're going to get you some resources. We can get you some help. Like, I'll, don't worry. And she said, "It, I don't, it's so weird the way I was talking to you today. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, I, d I don't know the side of you. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, this is the man that you raised me to be. And this is how the world sees me. And she was like, I just can't believe how gentle and loving and kind you are. Mm -hmm. And so that was a gift. You know, that was a real blessing for me. And to be able to, I, from that moment on, I spoke to my mother every single day until the day she died. And I got the very, very beautiful privilege of spending the weekend with her before she died. And um, I'm just grateful for her. And I treated her like a queen that weekend. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful, man. And you know, that's why these conversations and, and this podcast and these things in my mind are so important and why I've leaned into just going ahead and doing it because um, people need to be comfortable with vulnerability so you can present yeah. your authentic self at all times because you were blessed. You were able, your mother and you, to, to find this space, to reclaim your connection to each other and for her to finally, there near the end, see you truly for the first time see you in your yeah. completeness as a human being as a man as her child and you know it makes me sad all the families in the world that may be missing those amazing wonderful moments with these beautiful wonderful human beings that they co-created because they're worried about the fear of how someone's going to see them or if they're going to be judged or if God is going to love them. Leave those things to God. Leave those judgments, those concerns, people's opinions to them. Yeah. Just love yourself enough to be vulnerable to love others. Right. And it just makes this whole life so, so much sweeter, so yeah. much better. We're here for such a short period of time. We're called to people always wondering about what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? Well, the meaning of life is to live. Mm -hmm. You were called to live. Right. So live fully. Love, eat, pray, travel, party, have sex, whatever. Live fully. Yeah. And the meaning in life comes out of using your gifts to serve other people. And you create the meaning 
of this life that you're called to live. No. I mean, I'm paraphrasing Pastor Mike in many ways with that. He just preached about that recently, and it's amazing, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And so you've been, man, a really amazing example of that as, as a leader now. By serving, you've become a leader. That's what leadership is, serving other people. But you've also been an amazing son, clearly an amazing brother. Your brother, Eric, tell him a shout out to him. And, and an amazing friend. And I just, I think I would love to end this on, you know, you reflecting briefly because you're an amazing friend to me. I, I like to think I'm an amazing friend to you and you've got many friends. And I think friendships in many ways are the foundational relationships in communities. Just, say, just take us home with a reflection on the power of friendships in your life and what you would say to parents who are trying to figure out how to love their children, be friends with their children. So when I think of friendship, it kind of goes back to community. It goes back to that creating a support system, um, being there for someone when they are up, when they are having a a beautiful moment and being there for someone when they're not, when they're down um, and loving them in between. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned on this journey of, you know, my mother's dying, my getting laid off from my job, my leaning into native son is it is my friends who have helped get me through. And in doing so, I've learned to love harder, love better, love unconditionally, love without judgment. And in that, you create this relationship with people that is a blessing to each other. And I think sometimes, especially with coming out stories or inviting in stories, you hear these horror stories and people are cheating each other of the opportunity to love and the opportunity to expand and to be better human beings. And so that that's, I think, when I think of friendship, I think of that. I think of, um, you know, being on a FaceTime with someone when they're sick, when you're tired and you don't really feel like doing it, but my God, they need you in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's not about you. I go to bed exhausted many nights working on Native Son because it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not about me. It's bigger it's than you. It's about the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your leadership. And, and thank you for this conversation that got, you know, as deep and emotional as I figured it would be with the two of us, our sensitive selves. <laughs> but I am, I'm proud to be vulnerable and, and I'm happy to say that I am your friend and I'm grateful for your friendship and your leadership. What's next for you and Native Son? What's next? So this is Native Son's fifth anniversary. Um, and so continuing to do the great work that we're doing, but also to um make sure that we are serving all the facets of the black gay community um this year nationally next year globally 
um, and just really building out the programming, really leaning into the mental health and wellness piece. That's super important, especially in the trauma that we're all living in right now. Um, you know, and just building out our website, building out our content, um, fundraising, <laughs> fundraising, fundraising. This work does not get done. Um, it has been getting done on my dime, but it's time for the community to pour into itself. How do people contribute? How do they support? So you can um, contribute by going to nativesun.us and you'll see a donate button there. There's also a way if you want to become a major donor, there's information there as well. Um, and what's next? I mean, live, love, serve, like just, you know, just to continue to be a visionary dreamer and a doer and, you know, to really tell stories that open people's minds and hearts and that we can find a common ground of accepting ourselves at all of our intersections, right? And loving ourselves. That's that, whatever work I do, it will always have that as the baseline. Absolutely. Again, you guys, go ahead. Thank you, Ricky Day, for being my friend, for being my prayer warrior, for creating this space to have this conversation and for being an example. I mean, you did tremendous work in 2020 yourself. And so to see you grow, to see you deal with, you know, yourself um, and still be present and still pray over me and still show up. Um, I thank you. No, you're, you're very welcome. Um, it's my pleasure and my responsibility. And I just think, you know, I love Jesus a little too much to not try to show up in the world as Christ-like as possible, to be as much like Jesus as possible. And that's really about living, loving, yeah. and serving. Um, and to parents whose kids are expressing an identity that you don't quite understand, the first thing I would say to you is it's okay to not understand, but that does not relieve you of your responsibility to love. And for those of you who love what Native Son's doing and want to support, again, that's Native Son, N-A-T-I-V-E-S-O-N dot U-S, donate. And most important contribution I think you could probably make is show up as your authentic self. Be loving. Be loving. Be supportive. Put the best you possible into the world. And... I think for us, with our allies and our non-allies and those that challenge us, we should probably learn not to accept it at all. But be patient. Everybody's on a journey and some people get it immediately and some people need to see the love and action for them to want to come over and get a little bit of that love and, and be part of this this journey that we're all on. Emil Wilbekin, thank you for your time. I think we both have a fitness class to get into right about now. So uh, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Those of you listening, again, this is nothing to lose but yourself. Uh, my guest today was the amazing Emil Wilbekin and uh, wherever you are. Um, this is just another example, you guys. Are, we're trying to change the world one conversation at a time. Emil Wilbekin is a great example of a man who's come to live his life by being vulnerable and authentic. 
It isn't always an easy road to travel, but his life is an example of the benefits of living life the way God created us to live. Loving beyond the limits of our prejudices. And when God shows us our call to serve other people, the benefits of being obedient to that call. Why do I say that? You see, serving other people in my mind is the highest call in life because we all have these gifts, but the gifts that we've been given are not intended for our selfish use, just for ourselves. Our gifts are intended to come through us and be used to serve others. When you serve others, often you impact the world in wildly positive ways. Bring healing to situations and write your name in the history book. Why do I say this? Listen, in these times that we're living in, when everyone's so thirsty, and I do mean thirsty, for attention, followers, likes, what's in it for me? Where am I going to be? What's it about for me? People who rise above all this and use those gifts that they've been given by God to serve others, those are the people who we remember. Those are the people whose names get recorded. Those are the people who they build statues to. Those are the Martin Luther Kings, the Gandhis, the Mother Teresas, people who serve something higher than themselves, build a legacy. Community is important to living and growing and functioning as a society. Community is important to understanding morals and ethics and values. And community is how we exist as human beings. So when you use your gifts to serve other people by helping to build community, you're not only doing a beautiful thing or a good thing or a loving thing, you're doing a God thing. And I mean... Wouldn't you always want to do a God thing? I mean, you can't really go wrong with that. Use your gifts. Serve other people. Be the best human being you can be. And if we all do our best to do that, watch how we can change the world. Change the world. Change the world. Well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you enjoy your day, your night, this minute, this morning, this hour. And of course, this entire week, because, well, you're here, you're alive, which means you are supposed to be living. So do it as joyfully as you can. Do it with as much freedom and love as you can and make each day a better one than the last. All right. So again, follow us on social media. Nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, my personal social media is Ricky Day on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is produced here in Harlem, New York. I am the host. I'm the producer and I'm the creator. But the team will be expanding very soon. And we've got some exciting news coming very soon. So keep listening. Keep sharing. Keep rating and keep reviewing us on Apple Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to your podcast. But more than anything, you guys, keep going inside, learning who you are, embracing who you are, and ultimately loving who you are as an authentic human being, as an authentic expression of God's desire. Because, again, I'm convinced that when you love yourself, it makes it unnecessary for you to diminish and oppress other people. It makes it easier for us to build a much better world for ourselves. One conversation at a time. I'm Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. 
Have an amazing week.